and everyone. I love that. I'm going to hear Clinton Bishop Mosley Jr. Come in. You're going to have paradise with me one day. And that's going to be an awesome day, man. That's going to be one of those days. One of those days that you're going to remember. That you're going to remember being able to see God's face. Be able to see the smile on his face. And the answered prayers from him and his angels and all the saints as they see you walk through the threshold. It's going to be an awesome day when we see God. Amen. We're continuing our series, The Names of God. I don't know what God wants us to call them when we see him on that one, one day. But we have, I think, 21 different names now that we can call him. And he's going to answer to every single one of them. The one we're going to talk about and focus on today is Adonai, God, our Lord, God, our master, our sovereign God. And I ask you this question, who is your master? It's a lot of masters out there, right? It's quite a few. Here's one picture of a master for the, the 80s kids here. I know if y'all remember that master. The old, uh, the last dragon, Bruce Leroy is talking to Shonuff, the shogun of the ghetto. Who's your master? Come on now. We got some 80s babies in here. But also we got masters. We got a golf course in Augusta that has the masters, that hosts the tournament called the masters. This is in Georgia. And it's one of the most immaculate golf courses out there. Every grass is in place. Every tree has exactly the amount of leaves to be in perfection. And then the golfers are there trying not to lose their ball in the creek. So we got the master when it comes to that. But I ask the question again, who is your master? Who is the one calling the shots for you as an individual? Who's the one that's calling the shots for you in your household? Who is that master? Let's go to God in prayer. Dearly Father, as we come to you this afternoon, pondering the question, who is our master? I pray after our time today that we can all decide that you are going to be our master if you're not already. You love us. You provide for us. You give us opportunities to be like you. You give us opportunities to know you on a deeper level. And Lord, I pray that we take advantage of it. We look forward to seeing your face one day. We look forward to seeing the, the other believers, the other disciples of Jesus' faces, as all the hope wells up into seeing your face and that excitement of hearing that well done, my good and faithful servant. But until then, we have much more to learn about you. We have much more to carry out in your name. But I thank you for the gift of life that you have given us. We love you and all this we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Adonoia. The Hebrew word for Lord, 
for master, for sovereign. Frequently is used in the Old Testament before the proper name Yahweh, God. Adonai is also used almost like as, as a form of sir, of respect, of reverence. Almost like if you were to meet a high-ranking official in the military, a sergeant or a commander. You say sergeant so-and-so, commander so-and-so, because they have that respect that they have gained leading troops into the army, into harm's way. But it also brings a form of submission to it. When you call someone master, when you call someone Lord, there's an act of submission that's understood if someone calls you Lord, if someone calls you master. I'm still waiting for that opportunity to get the little M and the little L and Lord Mosley. But I'm not there. It's just, hey, Clint. Hey, boy. Hey, young man. But one day, hopefully, someone will call me master. But until then, I'll just preach the word of the master, the Yahweh, amen? But when do you think that term Adonoia was first used? Because Derek introduced and did a great job really laying the foundations for the names of God. We know there are many names, many descriptions of our Father in heaven. But when was the first time, when was the first character, when was the first person in the Bible Use the term Adonoia. Was it Adam and Eve? Were they the first ones to call God, Elohim, Yahweh, master, servant? And it wasn't them. They weren't the first ones because they were too busy hiding from God. They knew he was, he was God. They did call him Elohim the judge, the creator. They knew who he was. They knew what he's done. But when it comes to that relationship of I'm your servant and you are my master, we don't see any recording of Adam or Eve calling God out of Noah, master, Lord. Cain and Abel. Did Cain use Adonoia? We could probably guess that one. He did not. He was too busy trying to deceive God and to cover up the murder that he did of his brother Abel in Genesis 4. What about Noah? You're like, Noah was an awesome guy. Noah built the first ark and not only built it, but stuffed a lot of animals in there and went in there with them. So that's got to count for something. But not even Moses or Noah used the term Adonoia. But one thing I will say about Noah is that he treated God like his master, even though we don't see any recording of him. Because every time God had something for Noah to do, what did he do? He did it. So we definitely see master-servant relationship. What about the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11? 
got a group of guys and girls getting together and said, we're going to build a tower so that we can make a name for ourselves. We're going to build it high. It's going to touch the heavens. Do you think they were thinking about God as master? No. They was too busy trying to build a name for themselves. But surely Melchizedek, the, 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 the most high priest that Abraham gave a tenth of all his spoils to, maybe he did. He did use the name of God, but he referred to God, the most high God. El Elyon in Genesis chapter 14. So who do you think it was? Who do you think was the first character? We got an Abraham up front. We got anybody else? What was that? David. Another good one. Abraham, David. Jesus. That's always the right answer. <laughs> Except for today. Jesus probably used that name in heaven, but we just don't have it recorded. So we got Jesus, we have David, we have Abraham. Abraham is correct. Abraham was the first recorded person to refer to God Almighty as God my master, God my Lord. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 2, I'll reference it real quickly. It's in reference to God Abraham coming back to God and saying, I want this promise that you have given me. I want the land. I want to be able to carry on your name in the land that you have given me. And he was calling God his master because he knew the only way that he was going to get promises from God was to go directly to God, his master. But what I want to focus on today, though, Adonoia, that's a Hebrew term for master, for Lord. But I want to look at the Greek term. I want to look at some of the New Testament and how different individuals saw God as master, not as just the creator, just as judge, just as almighty. But is he almighty to me? If you guys could turn with me. To Luke chapter 7, verse 2. Turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 2, because one thing that I am very convinced of as we start this, this journey of getting to know God on a deeper level is that I definitely have a lot of work to do in understanding our God. He is so complex, but so simple. He is so deep but he invites us into his depth. It's one of those different things. I'm like, how, how can I wrap my mind around who God is? The only way we can do so is by listening to what he reveals in himself. What he tells us is what we have. But here in Luke chapter 7, verse 2, I'm going to read verse 1 and 2, but we got two uh, if you could turn to it, it says, when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly. And he was sick 
and he was about to die. So we have master. We have this master that's used in the Greek term. The term is kurios. And this master with a lowercase m. It's Lord with a lowercase m. It's one that you can, you can converse in, where you're talking to that humanly person. And you're like, hey, you're my master. I recognize that you're someone else, that you're higher than who I am. So you have the centurion who had a master, and his servants went to go talk to Jesus to make a request. And he called him Kyrios, master. But this name, Kyrios, what does that mean? Very similar to Adonoia. It's proper. It's a person that exercised absolute ownership. How many of you guys own the cars that you drive? Amen. We, we got some car owners in it. Amen. How do you feel about owning a car versus us that's paying payments on a car? Which one do you rather have? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's easy, brother, right? That's the easy one. I want to own my car. I want, I want the rights to it. I don't want to make payments, even though I'm making payments right now. I don't want to do that because I want to call the shots. And that's what this servant, the relationship he had with the centurion, where the centurion was calling the shots for this, for this servant. So we have kurios used in the Bible, and it's used over 700 times throughout the Scripture. 700 times throughout the Scripture. Sometimes it refers to Jesus. Most of the time it refers to just different men. But then you have one that's a little bit harder to say. I could say Kyrios, but let's throw this one up here. It starts with the E. Where's Tom at? Tom, help me out with this one, brother. We got any Greek scholars? You could tell. I still need to brush up on my Greek. But you have this word. You got this E word. You have this word that has so much meaning in it, and it's the formal, it's the proper form of kurios. And this word is only used seven times throughout the Scripture, all throughout the Scripture. So it's 700 some odd times with kurios, much more common Lord, Master. But this word, this is used primarily by the disciples. Out of the seven times it's used in the New Testament, six of those times were by disciples referring to Jesus Christ. So we say this one carries a little bit more weight to it, a little more sovereignty than what we just read. And listen to this. Epastasis means master, teacher, the legal standing of ownership referring to the master in charge. The one fully authorized. The one that's the head of all things. Now ask that question one more time. Who is our master? Who is the one that's calling the shots in our life? Who is the one that's superior to our submissive? Who's the one that's reverent in our life? 
because we know what they bring to the table. We know the power that they bring. In Luke chapter 17, verse 13, the only other time that this word was used to refer to Jesus that wasn't disciples, look at Luke chapter 17, verse 13. The only people that weren't walking with Jesus day in and day out that saw him for the absolute authority happened to be those that needed healing from Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 17, verse 13, let's jump up to 11. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Not lowercase m. We're talking about the capital M. They had a, a desperate nature about themselves where they knew that the only way that we was going to make it to that next chapter in life to be healed was to come in contact with the master, to come in contact with Lord, to come in, come in contact with the sovereign God Almighty. And this is the only time that someone outside of the apostles recognized and called Jesus by this Lord, Lord God Almighty. And we think about us and our relationship with God. Sometimes we're just the same way, right? We recognize the power of God when we need God. When we see, when we get in that car wreck and I'm stuck behind my steering wheel, and I'm like, God, help me out. Out of Noia, help me out. Then we go to God. When we're going through troubles, when we're trying to find jobs, when we're trying to get into prestigious colleges that we want to get into, then he's no longer Jesus, just Jesus. He's master. He's Lord. But what is Jesus trying to teach us today? Is that not only is he Lord, not only is he master during those times, but he's Lord and he's master right now, amen? amen. He's here right now. Be us on crutches or being able to walk without the help of a crutch. God is always there. And I got two simple points this afternoon. And my first point is this, the master seeks for servants. God is looking around for servants. Jesus is searching for those that want to submit to his will, not just because that we know it's the right thing to do, but because of who he is. And I love what Steve shared about in, in 2 Corinthians. Because one thing that helps me out when it comes to giving, be it financially or just giving of myself in servitude, is that who I'm serving. Sometimes I get the doubly reward where I'm serving a person and I'm serving God. But guys, anytime we serve, anytime we give, it's for God in his kingdom, amen? amen. It's always for God. And every once in a while, not only are we able to give to God, but we're also able to give to our brother and sister or to a stranger or to someone we're reaching out to. 
But I am very convinced that this master, he is ready for servants to come to him. If you, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we see God seeking after Abraham. And if you don't remember the story, turn over to Genesis chapter 12. Because up until this point, God had sought after Adam and Eve after they sinned. He went and found them. And they had to come to grips that, hey, we sinned against you and we've been hiding. He sought after Cain when Cain killed Abel. He went, proactively found Cain and addressed him to what was going on. With Noah, he set apart Noah to do the good work of building the ark. He went after Noah and he sought after Noah. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And then he didn't stop with there. He didn't say, just get uprooted and leave your home. What else did he end up saying? He wanted to bless him. He wanted to show him more than what he had in the land of earth. But look at this in verse 2. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse them. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Have you ever had someone that you just adored? You know, maybe, maybe someone at your job. Or maybe it's in the, the, the hobby field that you're in. Or maybe if it's even in your job or your sport that you do. But imagine, I love basketball, but imagine if Michael Jordan came up to me, LeBron James came to me, Steph Curry came to me, Kevin Durant. And they was like, you know what, man? I want to personally teach you basketball. I want to personally take you and help you out. What do you think I'll say? Yes. Yes, brother. Yes, let's do that. But then after probably one or two sessions, they're like, never mind, brother. You are past your prime. Do you have anybody younger in your fellowship that I can help out? But I remember back in my days at Dell, uh, Dell Computers and, and Sales, I had, we had this guy, we had this position. It was a coveted position in Oklahoma City. It was TSR trainer. And TSR trainer was one of those gigs because a TSR it was a technical sales rep. And a technical sales rep, they didn't just sell laptops and computers and printers, which most everybody at Dell has some knowledge of, right, if he was going to stay for any length of period. But those that started with Dell, they got promoted to TSR. And TSR, that was the technical sales. So they knew things about servers and storage and switches. So you think about Gmail and the boxes that those are running on, the computers those are running on, those are servers. And you think about YouTube and all the millions and millions of videos that get uploaded. That gets uploaded somewhere, and that's storage. So anybody that knew storage and knew servers they were like, oh, yeah, I want to get to know you. 
And I was one of those guys where I was like, man, I want to get to know those guys. I want to become a TSR trainer. I didn't want to just be, be a TSR. I want to be able to train the TSRs. And then after about a two and a half years of being, Dale, being at Dale, I was able to become a TSR trainer. But the best thing about becoming a TSR trainer is one of the previous guys that was a TSR trainer, and he was like the ultimate guy. He was one of the guys who had a server at his house, had storage at his house, just because he liked it. I wasn't one of those guys. My storage was my closet, and I had shoes and clothes in it. He had information. He was more of a, a, a Chad Wolf, per se. He loved technology, but this guy, he was one of the TSRs, TSR trainers. He left and uh, he did an account executive job, but then he came back to the call center, and guess who he sat by? He got to sit by me. Actually, it was the other way around. I got to sit by him. Because I remember, I was supposed to be the guy that knew a lot. But then people would come up and ask me questions, and guess who's sitting right there by me? The guy that actually knew the answer to every question. So if I didn't know, he would let me know. If I didn't learn a concept, I could always go to Tony. His name was Tony. And I could talk with him, and he would break it down so simply. He was a lowercase M master. He was one of those guys that made a lot of money in sales because not only did he know his craft, he was able to make it common to those that he sold it to. I think about that on a spiritual level. It's great to have mentors. It's great to have people that you learn under. But we have an opportunity, church, to learn under the Alpha and the Omega. The Adonoia, the, the, the Lord, the Sovereign. We have an opportunity to sit at his feet and to learn from him. And not only do we have that opportunity, he is proactively coming after us, trying to get us, trying to, to mold us. In, Jesus, in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, you got the New Testament. You got how Jesus sought out the disciples and called the disciples in the New Testament. Not only was it happening in the beginning of time, it didn't stop when Jesus came. He continued to seek after those that he wanted to pour into. But here in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting the net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to be to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The master seeks for servants. Are you ready to be a servant? That's our question. Are we ready to serve the almighty master? And we all know it's like, if I can be a master, I can be a servant. I'd rather be the master, right? That's sometimes that, man, it would be awesome to be a master. But then you have to have all the answers. And 
Last time I checked, I didn't have all the answers. So it's much better for me, it's much better for us to serve a master that can take us to the promised land. God, Jesus, is seeking for servants. But not only is he seeking for servants, he's seeking for servants in this room right now. He's always trying to bless, trying to get our attention, trying to even use suffering to get our attention so that we can look to him. What kind of master goes out of his way to leave perfection in heaven and to come down to earth just so he can do a more detailed job in winning you over? And I remember studying the Bible when I was in middle school, thinking about that. God not only loves, he loves me so much. I'm a 14-year-old boy, and he loves me enough to come down on earth just to convince me that he loves me. And it's mind-blowing that a master would do that. I could see a servant doing this, but this servant... This master is a servant as well in Jesus. And it's something that I adore, amen? But the master seeks for servants, but also the master has expectations. He has.